Welcome to the first edition of the Daily Roto Golf Podcast for the 2018 golf season. Golf is right around the corner, and I'm excited here to be on a podcast with myself, Mike Leone, Drew Dinkmeyer, and a couple of special guests, which we'll get into in just a bit. But first, I want to extend a big thank you out to Christian and Lance of DFS Albatross, who powered our projections the last couple of seasons. They were innovative, they were sharp, they really helped. Uh, add even more credibility to the Daily Roto product and I believe push the entire golf DFS industry forward. So thank you very much, Christian and Lance. I know uh, they're on to bigger and better things. Christian's making money left and right and cryptocurrency probably going to take over the world someday. But uh, the good news for you Daily Roto listeners is we have a partnership with datagolf.ca run by Matt and Will Corshane for the 2018 golf season. And you're going to see a lot of the stuff you saw last year in terms of uh, projected fantasy points for DraftKings and FanDuel, as well as place probabilities. And you're going to see some new stuff too, an optimizer this season, and one that I think is going to be pretty revolutionary in the space because of some of the features it has between uh, maximizing the amount of projected ownership in a certain lineup. You can uh, maximize floor or ceiling in projected lineup. Just some really cool stuff, but we'll get into those features in a little bit. Matt and Will, uh, excited to have you on. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourselves and how you got into golf analytics? Yeah, sure. Um, well, firstly, we're super excited about this relationship. And um, yeah, so Matt and I are brothers uh, from Canada that both ended up going to graduate school to study economics. Uh, Matt's actually still doing his PhD. And I'm now working as a data analyst in Toronto. Um, <clears throat> in terms of how data golf started, about a year and a half ago, we started just messing around with PGA Tour data and posted some small articles to Twitter. They got a little bit of attention. And then from there, it kind of took off, and we started doing some really involved uh, data-driven articles and also started presenting our findings through these what we think are pretty nice uh, interactive data visualizations. And then... As you guys know, uh, along the way, we, we developed a, a model that we used to predict golf tournaments, and we ended up using it pretty successfully in the golf betting markets. Um, yeah, and then about two months ago, we joined up with Daily Roto to create this fantasy golf product that is set to launch in 2018. And now that we have this uh, Daily Roto product that is going to launch for the upcoming season, uh, let's talk about the features a little bit. And we're going to have the you know the base fantasy projections for FanDuel and DraftKings. Uh, there's going to be a head-to-head player comparison tool, which is pretty neat. You can pick any two players and see uh, their DraftKings, FanDuel histories against one another, the uh, strokes gained in different metrics against one another. So a good way, if you're, you're between two players, you can take a look at that. Uh, I, th- I think the coolest thing we're going to have that we didn't have last year is an optimizer. And this optimizer... Uh, what's cool is the base functionality is great, but there's a lot of customizability to it. You can lock players, eliminate players, uh, manually bump players if you don't agree with the projections. You can mess with the scoring environment. That's really cool. Um, but you can also mess with like long-term form, recent form, and course history. And it's, it's really interactive. And uh, I don't know if, if you guys have something in particular that you're excited for people to use about that or anything that I missed that you want people to know about the optimizer for 2018. Um, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I think in general, like the, the broad goal with this was to 
we wanted to have like a pretty sophisticated model in the background, but then at the same time, we really wanted to have user, the, the fantasy users be able to interact with the product and, and give their input because, um, I mean, no matter how sophisticated things are on the other, on our side, uh, if users don't really understand what's going on, then it's, uh, it's tough for them on their end. So, yeah, basically we give the projections, which, which users can alter a bit. And then what the optimizer is doing is basically, as you outlined, it's, it's how you go from your projections to, to the optimal teams. So, yeah, you can, and we allow users to customize stuff. Like if you don't want to have, uh, you want to maximize points for your team, but subject to not having a certain level of ownership. So you want, you want to own a team that not many other people own. Um, and we also allow users to customize this risk preference. So instead of, instead of choosing a team that has the best expected points, you can choose a team that has, uh, maybe the biggest upside. So they, they might not have the highest average, but on their good days, this team would get a lot of points. And conversely, you can go on the safe side. You can have a team that, that doesn't have much downside. Um, but yeah, the, the broad, the broad idea was we really wanted to have a lot of user interaction with the product. Yeah, I think that's really neat. And Drew, you can speak to this, but, uh, that ties in well with, with our other products, our NFL, our uh, NBA and our M- MLB projections are all customizable and require user input. So you can speak to that. And also, I know you're excited about, uh, as mentioned, the ability to optimize with a constraint on ownership for DraftKings. That's where Colin Drew does our ownership projections, which is helpful in tournaments where, you know, you're struggling where you want to build an optimal lineup, but you don't want it to be too chalky. Yeah, I think a lot of these uh, innovations are really cool and something that are somewhat new to the industry in terms of the optimizer space. So really excited about the job that DataGolf has done in terms of building these things. And I think the risk profile stuff is really cool for building teams that are specific to the types of contests that you're playing in, uh, whether you're playing in big tournaments where you're trying to, you know, top-weighted tournaments where you're trying to finish near the top, you might build riskier teams than if you're playing a head-to-head game. Uh, so using the optimizer for that, as well as all the customizability, which has really become a staple of all the daily roto tools that we've been offering, whether it's for NBA or NFL or MLB or, or now PGA, the ability to customize, hey, we think, you know, I think the scoring environment is going to play softer than it usually does or than uh, the data golf guys have projected. Or, hey, I, I think this player's, uh, you know, I, I, this player in particular, his recent form, I'd like to uh, bump up with a manual boost on their scoring. Or, hey, I want to look at uh, all the course history this week. I feel like this course has a long uh, data set of, of course history to look at. I think all those customizability uh, features really separate this product uh, from a lot that are out there. And then you mentioned the the ability to build teams through projected ownership. I just think that's a really cool feature. I know for me, it's something that I've always tried to figure out in the past when I'm you know building my GPP teams. I try to set a maximum threshold in my mind in terms of the total ownership of the team. You know, I want to be somewhere between let's say uh, 80 and 110 percent in terms of total ownership of the players well uh, building this tool to be able to do that in in conjunction with Colin Drew's ownership projections I think is just a really cool feature uh, that I have not seen anywhere else in the industry all right guys uh, now let's talk a little bit about we'll get some of your opinions on some golf metrics and whatnot uh, so Drew brought up course history and that's a big debate and I know Colin's adding in a course history type tool for us this season. Where are you guys on the course history debate? Uh, do you think it has some merit or do you think it's something that isn't predictive at all and just a lot of noise? Um, so 
we're actually currently working on a, a blog post that we should put out pretty soon that's, that's an, trying to answer this exact question. Um, in the past, I think, I think we've probably been overly critical of course history. Anyone who followed us on Twitter, I think at various times, uh, we've said that it's completely irrelevant. I think this, this is mostly a response. This is probably a response to, uh, other people who overvalue it. I think, I think our position now would, but not very much. I think, I think if we were to break down, just loosely speaking, long-term form, short-term form, and course history, I think it would be something like 80%, 15%, 5%. Uh, so the 5% going on the course. So course history. I think it, the basic problem, I think, is just that there's not very, oftentimes there's not very, very many rounds to go off at a course. So obviously if you, if you get a course where a lot of people in the field have played a lot of rounds, then I think that 5% number does go up. But um, in general, I think we're, we're going to tend to undervalue course history compared to the general market, I think. Yeah. And I'm generally against course history, but Luke Donald broke me a little bit last year. I don't remember which course that was, but uh, he finally – it was some course where, you know, Luke Donald, like, he's top 10 or something every year, and I refused to play him, and he was at chalk ownership, and he crushed, and I cried. So that was <laughs> – Yeah, it's Harbortown that he yes. keeps yeah. playing. He keeps playing a lot at Harbortown. I mean, one thing to think about is, like, for every person like Luke Donald, there's probably a lot of guys who aren't, like, going in. They may have good history, and then they don't play well, and then we completely forget about them. But maybe Luke Donald's just the one guy who keeps playing well at Harbortown. So we think that this course history thing is real when maybe it's not. Um, Yeah, that's a really good point, because uh it's the same thing with batter versus pitcher in baseball. A guy's got good B V P for, you know, ten at bats, then he goes over his next ten, and then he doesn't have good B V P so you remove him from the conversation, uh, and then you end up with this confirmation bias where uh, the only people you talk about are the guys that are the outliers, uh which we're exactly, more concerned yeah. about. Yeah. The that usual performance, not the outliers. Uh a couple things before we let you get out of here. One, uh, you guys started with your probability models and, uh, just wondering how it was transforming those probability models to, uh, projecting fantasy points. Obviously there's a little more detail that goes into that given that you need this specific hole scoring, you know, birdies, bogeys and whatnot. And, uh, it's just how similar and different it is from your probability models. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's interesting. So it's, in the end, it's pretty similar in the sense that, so obviously in the scoring model, we're predicting scores, whereas now in this fantasy model, we're predicting, uh, well, we predict two things. We predict scoring points and then also finish points. Um, the way we were actually initially going to approach this was to just do a scoring model at the whole level, uh, so hole by hole, and then if you can simulate everybody's rounds, then you can, that way you can easily simulate fantasy points as well. But we ended up not going that route for a few reasons. The biggest one being that if we're going to let people customize, uh, if we're going to make cu- customizable these uh, these weights on uh, long-term, short-term, and, and course average, we sort of need to have the model be simple enough in the background for that to happen sort of instantaneously. So uh, in the end, the model is pretty similar. We're, we're, it's similar in the sense that we're just using historical averages uh, weighted in different ways uh, to predict future points. Um, it's a bit different in that in the fantasy model, we are allowing for course specific stuff. So 
in the scoring model, we there were no there was no course history, uh, there was no and there was no information about the current course uh, for this week's event. Whereas in the fantasy model, um, we do allow users to input what the, how they think the score the course is going to play relative to par, just because that's that's really important in fantasy because the easier the course is, the more uh, the more heavily scoring points are going to factor relative to finish points. Um, and we also allow for course history. So uh, in, in the end, it's pretty similar, but it's, it was a lot trickier to, to, to generate the fantasy model for sure because there's a lot of little intricacies to the scoring, uh, the scoring system and whatnot. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then a final question I have, uh, are there any sort of blind spots that you think subscribers should be aware of uh, I know sometimes I talk with our team in the background, and it's I'd almost rather have a model that maybe falls short of accuracy than another model, but I know exactly what the weaknesses are so that I can account for those. Uh, and I know with our previous golf model, you know, guys like Patrick Cantley gave us fits where we just didn't have this data on them. So uh, do you see any blind spots, and how do you handle uh, newer golfers like Patrick Cantley where you don't have – uh, this history to go off of? Um, yeah, so I think one obvious blind spot, and this is a small blind spot, but so the data we're using to, to make the models is European Tour data, uh, PJ Tour data, and web.com data. So we actually do cover, I think that's pretty good as far as uh, data coverage goes. But, for example, in the fall, in this past fall, we do have obvious blind spots whenever they go overseas. And like at the CIMB Classic, there were some players that were basically being treated as rookies in our model, um, like this guy named Gavin Green, who's actually quite good, I guess, and we just had no data on him. So that's that's an obvious limitation. And then to your point about uh, Cantley and, and Rom, or you didn't say Rom, but Rom's another good example of someone who uh, who we don't have much data on at the start of this year, for example. So even though they have great scoring averages, yeah, our model is always going to – it's not going to value Cantley that much just because – uh, we don't have that much data on him. And um, I think it's just, again, the data sort of just tells you to do this. It tells you when you when you have a scoring average uh, for Canley, for example, that's really good. Maybe it's three strokes above above average, uh, but it's only based off a few rounds. You sort of you sort of have to just discount that towards zero. Um, yeah, yeah, that, ma- yeah. that makes sense. And, and that's one of the cool things about the customizable aspect, though, where if you're buying that small sample size production, you can manually bump someone like Patrick Cantley. If you're not, uh, you can stick with the more regressed projection that's taken into account that we don't have this larger sample size. Uh, Drew, do you have any uh, questions for the guys or any closing thoughts on the product? My, my last question for you guys is, uh, you know, kind of a little bit off the, the topic of the, the tool itself, but like why golf? Like what, what got you guys so motivated, uh, to, to start a golf, uh, betting probability model and, uh, what's, what's the background and the connection for you guys with golf? Yeah, I guess the main one is, I mean, we just came from like a golf heavy family. Like basically we've been playing and watching golf since we were, since we could walk basically. Um, and obviously, once our pro careers went down the drain and we realized we would never make the money playing golf, we, I mean, yeah, then we went to school and then we had all these skills and statistics and all that. And then we knew so much about golf. It was just a really natural fit in the end. Um, we could just take all this stuff that we had learned in school onto this rel- relatively like untouched data. I mean, Mark Brody has done a lot of work, but 
other than that, like it, it hasn't, re- it hadn't really been touched that much. So we kind of had like free reign at all this data to basically just practice and like grow all of our skills in terms of stats. So, and it was the only, and we was, it was the only sport that we, we knew the intricacies of enough to, to, to make a model like that. Um, so it's just like a perfect storm, I guess. All right, Matt and Will, thanks so much for taking the time to talk about Data Golf. Uh, we're really excited about this partnership, ready for golf season to get here so we can start utilizing a lot of the really cool tools and projections you're going to have. And if you're interested in buying the Daily Roto Golf Package powered by Data Golf, head over to dailyroto.com slash premium. We do have a promo code Data Golf for 10% off, so make sure to enter that upon checkout. Thanks for tuning in, everyone, and best of luck in the 2018 season. Got an old brown bag that's sticking on the back Where the grass don't grow Gonna take a few hacks That place for you If you're just like me I'm Jeff Richard